the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2. We've only just begun our series in the Gospel of Matthew last month, which I very cleverly entitled, The Gospel of Matthew. I don't think I'm going to come up with a more clever title than that. I expect we'll be in this series for at least a year, and I expect it to be a very fruitful time of learning about our Lord Jesus Christ and what He wants for us and what He wants from us. The Lord Jesus is the most important person who ever lived, and this is one of His authorized theological biographies. And it's also a manual for our discipleship, our followership of Him. In chapter 1 of Matthew, Matthew presented Jesus' pedigree. Jesus' genealogy was one form of valid identification to tell us who Jesus really is. He's the son of Abraham, the son of David, the Messiah. And in the last half of chapter 1, Matthew told us how Jesus' birth came about, his origin story. And boy, is it a wonder. Jesus was miraculously conceived and born of a virgin, And he was named Jesus and titled Emmanuel because he would save his people from their sins and be God with us. And that's what we celebrated this last week. That's what all the the excitement in our church and in, in the world for Christmas is all about. The birth of Jesus Christ. Well, in Matthew chapter 2 tells us what happened next. We don't always hear about what happens next, especially because some of it is downright evil and ugly and bloody. We tend to shy away from this stuff. But Matthew didn't shy away from it, and neither today will we. Here's what happened next. There was a great search for the newborn king. There was a great search for the newborn king. In many ways, it was a hunt for this newborn king. And many of those people hunting for him did not have good motives at all. That's the story of Matthew chapter 2. I'd like for us to read it slowly this morning, explaining some things as we go along. And then at the end, I'd like to draw out some applications for us today. So let's pray first, read Matthew 2, and then apply it. Let's pray. Father, Frank reminded us this morning that your word never returns to you void, never comes back empty, but it always accomplishes that which you have purposed for it to do. And I pray that even now as we open up your word and listen to your word, that it would have effect on us, that we would see who Jesus is more clearly, we would love him more dearly, we would follow him more nearly this day. We've sung about Him. We've filled our minds with Him. We've declared our belief in Him. Now, Lord, help us to see Him better, more fully, and to follow accordingly. We pray this in His name. Amen. Now, before we begin reading this familiar story, it's not as familiar as the Christmas story, but it's still pretty familiar. I want to give you some things to search for as we read it, okay? Some things to notice as we do. Here are four themes that I want you to try to track as we go along. First, royalty. Jesus is presented in Matthew chapter 2 as a king. It's going to come out again and again. A newborn king, yes, but also a great king. Watch for how this royalty is presented. That's because of what we saw about his relationship with David back in chapter 1. Second, protection. 
This king is going to be hunted, and not just in a good way. There are evil people who want to take his life. What's the name of the worst of them? Herod. That's right. King Herod was an evil old man. But does King Herod get King Jesus? No, he does not. You know that already. You've, you've read this story before. I want you to look for how God protects the newborn king. It's quite remarkable. Third, fulfillment. There's that word again, right? We're going to see that word. Matthew loves that word. He uses it again and again in this chapter. Take note of where God keeps His promises and fulfills, fills up the prophecies of the Old Testament. And fourth, suffering. Just because the king is protected does not mean that he and those around him don't suffer. They do. There is great evil in this chapter because there's great evil in the world. And it leads to great suffering. So search for that theme as well as we read it. Okay, here we go. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Notice that this happened after Christmas, right? How appropriate for us to do this the Sunday after. Verse 1 says it happened after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now we don't know exactly how long after. It could have been up to two years later based on what else happens in this chapter. It happens during the time that King Herod ruled over Israel. He was called Herod, 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 no, Herod the First or Herod the Great. Now he's called Great, but not because he was a good person. King Herod was not a Jew. He had been made king by the Roman Empire, and he was a very efficient and productive ruler. He built the Great Temple, right? Herod's Temple is the, the one that was there. And he provided excellent famine relief. As, as ruler goes, he did some great things, but he was also very evil. By the end of his life, Herod had done just about anything that you can imagine to protect his kingship, including killing anyone that he thought threatened him. He killed at least two of his very own sons who had threatened to take over the kingdom. He had killed one of his beloved wives because she was a threat. He had ordered the crucifixion of 2,000 leaders upon his death. They didn't follow these orders. After he died, they said, oh, we don't have to do that anymore. But that was the kind of person Herod was. We know who King Herod was from the history books. We don't know much about these magi mentioned in verse 1. The King James calls them wise men. They're very mysterious they come onto the scene in, here in Matthew chapter 2, and they go off the scene in Matthew chapter 2, and they aren't heard from ever again. Who were these strange men, right? I think that's what you're supposed to say after they leave. Who were those guys? We don't really know. A couple of centuries earlier, there were a group of Medes who were priests called the Magi, and they apparently had some powers to interpret dreams and that sort of thing. We would have called them magicians. In fact, we get our English word magic from that word magi here. I tend to think that they were from Babylon and were related to the magicians mentioned in the book of Daniel. Read chapters 1 and 2 and you, you'll see who I, who I mean. 
We don't know uh, exactly who they are. The Magi are mysterious people who are apparently also astrologers because they've seen some astrological phenomenon, a star, and they discerned, again, how we don't know, that a great king worthy of honor and worship has been born in Israel to be king over the Jews. Very mysterious, isn't it? We don't know how they knew this. The Bible doesn't tell us. And anything we come up with is conjecture. I tend to think that they'd come upon the prophecy of Balaam from Numbers chapter 24 and saw a miraculous star that they associated with the star that would come out of Jacob. Now, the Bible never promotes astrology. Okay? Don't look at your horoscope. It, you can read anything you want to in it. They write it in such a way as to make you think whatever, right? Do not pay attention to the stars to determine your destiny. However, God is king over the stars. And these mysterious men have been led by the stars from the east, whatever that is, wherever, to Jerusalem to search for, verse 2, the one who has been born king of the Jews. Now, were these magi kings themselves? I mean, last week or two weeks ago we sang, we three kings of Orient are, right? Uh, were, Were these guys royalty? We don't know. The Bible does not call them kings. But they clearly got Herod's attention, right? Herod, Herod listened to them. So, so I think they must be either royal personages or, or connected to royalty in some kind for Herod to, to, to sit up and pay attention. Maybe they were court astrologers of some king in the east. We don't know. How many of them were there? How many of them were there? We don't know. We don't know. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, it doesn't say, does it? Uh, tradition has three magi, but only because they brought three gifts, right? We think of three because gold, frankincense, and, and myrrh, okay? But the Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe there were 50 of them. Maybe there were 100 of them in this great big camel train, okay? We don't, oh, by the way, we don't know if they came on camels either. Uh, that picture on the front of your bulletin, maybe, maybe not. We don't know. doesn't mention any camels, okay? All we know is that they came. They got Herod's attention. The Magi are almost a complete mystery, but what they are about is not mysterious. They are searching for a king. You see the royalty theme here? They are searching for a king, and that leads someone else to search for a king, someone who isn't happy that he's been born. Look at verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. Why? Because he's king of the Jews. Or so he pretended. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. He knew that the the people he ruled expected a messianic ruler. So from where? Tell us. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. What prophet? Micah. Matthew paraphrases Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5, which I read to us all on Christmas Eve. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search 
for the child. There's our word search. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. So you see any of these uh, themes here as you read that? There's the fulfillment theme, right? Micah's prophecy was fulfilled perfectly. Jesus was born in Bethlehem and will be the shepherd of his people. But Herod isn't very happy about that. And he's trying to turn the Magi into his intelligence agents to find the newborn king. He's careful to find out the exact time the star appeared. Why? He wants to know how old the boy is, right? What should I be looking for? And then he lies through his teeth. Herod says he wants to worship the newborn king as well. Verse 8, as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Bye-bye. He closes the door and he rubs his hands together, right? (laughs) Apparently the Magi didn't yet know enough to distrust Herod. And they go off to do exactly what he says. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they'd seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Wow. Apparently, the star, whatever that is, also mysterious. Whoever heard of a moving star, this too is a miracle. It moves kind of like the pillar of fire and the, the pillar of, 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 of cloud there in the, in the book of Exodus. The star had vanished at some point. And now it reappears to these mystery men and it leads them right to Bethlehem and even right to the place where the child was. That was no ordinary star. And they become deliriously happy. The King James says, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. I love that. Woohoo! they said. They're jumping up and down. They found him. Their search was over. Verse 11. On coming to the house, Now notice some time has passed. Jesus' family is now in a house. They saw the child, perhaps a toddler by now, with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. Now here I think is another reason to believe the Magi were at least tied to royalty, if not kings themselves. These are gifts of royalty to royalty. Jesus is a great king. In some ways, this is like the Queen of Sheba coming. Right? Remember that from 1 Kings 10? When the Queen of Sheba made her way up and came to to Solomon? Well, one who is greater than Solomon is now here. And these kings from the east have come and they are presenting their gifts to him. Jesus is a great king and he deserves great honor and worship with treasure. That's one of the reasons why we take an offering in our worship services. Because we are offering our treasures as a statement of our worship of Jesus. The royalty theme is here. And so is the protection theme. Look at verse 12. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. There's going to be a lot of protective dreams like that in this section of Jesus' life. The Magi are given new marching orders directly from God and they bypass Herod and go home a different way. And they fade off into obscurity and we wonder about them every year. What mystery men? They have achieved their goal, however. 
They found the newborn king and they worshipped him just as he deserved. But that's just one search. There's still another search that is still on and it's a nefarious one. Yet God is going to protect his son. Look at verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now which of these four themes do you see in this section, is there royalty? Yeah, verse 13, he calls Jesus God's son. That's a term of royalty. Is there protection? Yep, there, there's one of these protective dreams in verse 13. Is there fulfillment? Yes, verse 15 says, and so was fulfilled. Hosea 11, chapter 1, out of Egypt I called my son, which turns out to be a prophetic pattern. And how about suffering? Yes, that's there too. Think about Joseph and Mary fleeing in the night with young Jesus to Egypt of all places. Jesus and his family became refugees. Think about that for just a second. At one time in his young life, our Lord, the King of the Jews, the King of the whole world, was a refugee. I think that tells us something about God's love for displaced people. That at one time our Lord was a refugee, suffering. I believe that the Magi's gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh are what got Joseph's little family through their ordeal. They probably funded this flight to Egypt and they're living while they were there. And they just barely escaped. At least that's how it seems to me. They had to take off at night. Because Herod's SWAT team was on the way. Verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. Those Magi haven't come back. What's going on? And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. The search for the newborn king killed all the little boys of Bethlehem. Can you imagine how terrible this was for Bethlehem? Of course, the word suffering doesn't really do it justice. Every little boy in that town. How many boys in this building right now, two years old and under? I think of Mr. Brigan and Grayson and Whitaker and Luke Negard. I'm, I'm probably missing somebody. Herod's assassins did not miss them. At one point, all three of my sons were ages two and under. I had, uh, we had, 
There's only two and a half years between all three of them. The king's soldiers broke in and took their lives. Don't know how big Bethlehem was. If it was a town of a thousand, maybe there's 20 or 30 families. Friends, there's great suffering that comes with being associated with Jesus. Jesus was protected this time, yes, but these boys were not. So Rachel wept. Did you notice the fulfillment theme in verses 17 and 18? Rachel was always associated with Bethlehem. She was buried near there back in the book of Genesis. And then in Jeremiah, Jeremiah prophesied that great mourning would come with great suffering at the time of the exile. And that prophetic pattern was fulfilled yet again when these boys lost their lives for Jesus' sake. Herod was horribly wicked. And eventually he died and had to face the justice of God. Verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life, those searching for the newborn king, are dead. Interesting. This is little echoes of the book of Exodus. By the way, that's language drawn from the book of Exodus. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But not to Bethlehem. Not again. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, and he knew that Archelaus was just as bad, Archelaus didn't last very long, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth, which had probably been his hometown. So was fulfilled what was said to the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. So again, the theme of protection. Two dreams here. One in verse 19, again in verse 22, to protect Jesus. God wants this little boy to grow up, doesn't he? And the theme of fulfillment, he will be called a Nazarene. That is, he will be despised because he came from Nowheresville, which is a kind of suffering itself. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I doubt it. He was rejected because of the obscurity of his hometown. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So that's what happened after Christmas. The search for Jesus Christ. We've seen royalty, the one born king of the Jews, worthy of golden treasure. We've seen protection, dreams and midnight escapes to make sure that this king lives to manhood and achieves his mission. And we've seen fulfillment. Ancient prophecies and typologies and prophetic patterns being filled up in the life of this little boy. And we've seen suffering, terrible suffering from terrible evil. So how does this apply to us today? As I've studied this chapter, I've been struck by three different kinds of people in this story. And I think each of them has a message for us. Those who search for him, number one, those who search for him, to worship Him. And by this I mean the Magi, of course. They sought Him out to worship Him. They came a great distance. They spared no expense. They believed He was the King. And they bowed before Him. And while I don't think we're supposed to learn anything from the stars, these stargazers got this one right. And we're supposed to follow their example. 
Do we seek to follow, to worship Jesus? The bumper sticker says, wise men still seek Him, right? That's right. Wise men search after Jesus to worship Him. They do whatever it takes. They spare no expense. They believe He is the King and they bow before Him. Worship. As followers of Jesus, we're called to live lives of worship and honor for our great King. That's why we're here this morning, right? I wondered how many people would come to church the Sunday after Christmas, especially when the thermometer looked like this. Right? Well, if you're here, chances are you're here to worship the King. That's why we had an offering this morning. It may not be gold, incense, or myrrh, but it's our treasures laid out as a gift before Him to worship Him as our supreme treasure. This is how we're supposed to live our lives. Quiet devotional times, hard decisions, a lifestyle of worship, following Jesus as King. Because Jesus is worth it. He's worth searching to worship Him as our King. How are you doing at worshiping Jesus? As you look at 2018, are you prepared to worship? Do you worship Jesus every day? Do you worship Jesus with your work? Do you worship Jesus with your time and your talents and your treasures? Do you worship Jesus with your relationships? Do you worship Jesus with your words? Did you notice that these magi are Gentiles? I think that's a great thing to notice. These guys were not Jews. We don't know who they were, but they weren't Jews. They were foreigners. They came from the east. They were from elsewhere. But they recognized that Jesus was not just the king of the Jews, but worthy of their worship, their honor as Gentiles. Now that's going to be a theme that comes up again and again as we read through the the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is written, first of all, to Jews. But one of the messages to those first Jews is that Jesus is for the Gentiles too. In fact, Gentiles were among the first to recognize who Jesus truly is. And we're Gentiles, right? Who are we in this story? With whom do you identify with the most? I'm not an astrologer. I'm not a magician. I'm a juggler, but I'm not a magician. But I'm a Gentile who wants to worship Jesus. Second kind of person. The kind not to be. Those who search for him to kill him. Herod soldiers, but much more despicably, Herod himself, who was giving the orders. Herod hated Jesus. He pretended to want to worship him. That's a scary thing. Don't pretend to want to worship Jesus if you hate him on the inside. And Herod might have actually believed that Jesus was the rightful king. He consulted the prophecies, but he wanted to kill him anyway. He was searching for Jesus, not to worship, but to kill. We've seen the theme of protection here. Herod failed, but the hate that filled Herod didn't die with Herod, did it? Eventually that hate grew and grew, and finally Jesus succumbed to its power. Eventually Jesus did die at the hands of the rulers of Israel. In fact, another Herod was there that day. Jesus suffered and bled and died. And there were no miraculous escapes on Good Friday. Jesus died on the cross. But that was not the end. The evil of those who hunt the king does not triumph in the end. 
no matter what it might seem like. No matter if it seems like evil will win in this world. Pharaoh, the Third Reich, Idi Amin, Stalin, and whatever personal hell you might be going through right now. Jesus came back from the dead and no Herod on earth can stop him. And those who believe in him and worship him will live with him forever. His resurrection took the sting out of sin and death. And as we said last week, he will reign forever and ever. Some searched for Jesus to worship him. Some searched for Jesus to kill him. And those are really the only two sides there are. But reading this story, I was struck again by another group of people that are in this passage, however briefly. And they're in verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, maybe that's just hyperbole, but everyone in Jerusalem was buzzing with the news of these mysterious guys who have appeared from the east and are talking about a king and the chief priests and the teachers of the law named the place as Bethlehem, and who goes to check it out? Just the Magi. None of those priests. None of those teachers of the law, they, they knew their Bible, they answered the quiz, right? Ooh, ooh, call on me. It's Bethlehem. Beth, Micah chapter 5. And then they don't do anything about it. They don't go to Bethlehem and see, as far as we know. I was struck by those who didn't bother to search for him at all. They didn't even bother. They didn't bother to, to check it out. And that apathy cost many of them their eternal lives because there's no neutral when it comes to Jesus. You're either on the Magi's side or you're on Herod's side. And if you think you can walk the fence, you're on Herod's side. You might as well kill the babies yourself. Are you sitting on the fence? Are you just going through the motions but you aren't worshiping Jesus? Maybe you know all the answers. Ooh, oh, it's Micah chapter 5. Bethlehem. But you aren't doing anything about it? Are you just trying to mind your own business and hope that God doesn't mess with it? I invite you today to get down off the fence and come bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the great King, worthy of all worship. And one day He will come again, and all of those who sought Him now will sing, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Great things he has done. Friends, don't be ambivalent about Jesus. He's the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is worthy of all of our worship, and he will reign forever and ever. Amen.